2: You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts.
3: Episode 160 of Blue Jays Nation Radio, cruising into the all-star break, Coomzee. And listen, I thought this was going to be an absolutely miserable edition of the podcast. And then Danny Jansen said, think again, they somehow took two of three from the Detroit Tigers. I've said this a few times about different moments in the series, but like again, that weekend felt like a microcosm of the series where like you walk away from it and you're like, all right, they outscored them. What would it be? 16 to seven. They won two of the three. And yet you come away from the series like with not a great feeling in your mouth.
2: You talk about going to that. Six game stretch before the all-star break with the White Sox and the Tigers. It's like, okay, here's two teams. They're in the central division and they're bad. Yeah. Six games here right before the all-star break. You really should rattle off five or six wins. They just went five and one in that stretch. And I mean, I don't know if many of us are sitting there being like, hell yeah, they went five and one during that stretch. It's more like yeah. Wait, they went five and one during that stretch. It was, it was, it was just such like a long sloppy
3: frustrating slog especially after the way it started with them just pumping home runs in the yeah. first game and you're all of a sudden you're like okay we're probably feeling pretty good here Got offense got off to a good start i know the tigers had a couple of decent pitchers going in the next two games but it wasn't it wasn't concerning me at least um but let's break down this series a little bit with our three up three down starting with the up if there was one game in this series that you would have been like ah they might lose that one It was probably going to be the Alec Manoa start, but instead Manoa in his return to the majors, throws six innings, only allows one earned run, strikes out eight Tigers and only allows five hits. Not a single walk out of those stat lines. The eight K's, the fact he goes six, the fact he gives up one earned run. I think the zero walks is actually the best part of it.
2: Yeah, that's the that's the thing that stands out here, because I mean, can look at it and be like, well, you're going up against the Detroit Tigers. They're not a spectacular lineup. So, you know, a lot of people made the joke like, oh yeah, Alec Manoa did well in this AAA rehab start against the Tigers. Let's see how he does against a big league team. But they are still a big league team. And you look at the peripherals. Zero walks, eight strikeouts. That means he's pounding the zone, forcing guys to make swings. He's getting whips. The big thing really is the command because that's what was so bad before. I mean, like he was slow, the pacing was difficult. Yeah. This is before he went down, and he was nowhere near the strike zone, looking like he's trying to aim balls in, like the darts or something like that. And then he came back up and you know, just looked like he was having an easier time with the pitch clock, looked like his rhythm was better, looked like he was having an easier time finding energy for those pitches, much easier time finding the strike zone. It's a really encouraging start. It's um it's it's honestly like it might have been the best start that we've seen from all season. Like it's, it's his first quality start since all the way back in mid-April when he had that pretty good outing in New York. It was seven innings. Yep. And the only other one other than that was that weird one in Kansas City where the Royals hit the ball to the warning track like 15 times, but nothing got down because that stadium is so big. I mean, it's, it's incredibly encouraging. Again, we can, we can say, yeah, it's the Tigers, but. Let's let's take a glass half full approach here. Yeah. I'm not going to say just yet Manoa's back to being a Cy Young candidate. I think that's a big stretch, but I am now cautiously optimistic he can be a good number three, four starter for the Blue Jays this season again.
3: The thing that now concerns me, and I said this on the Friday episode of the pod when we were doing the, okay, what if it goes bad? And then what if it goes good? And it was like, hey, even if it goes good, you then have to what? Sit him for 11 straight days when you look at the fact all-star break, and then you're probably going to want to split up Gosman, Ambassador Gosman, and Brios. And the point is, Minot is probably in the back half of your rotation coming out of the All Star break, right? So now you have all these days off where he won't be pitching a ton. I wonder if maybe they should have looked into sending him down to Triple A at some point for a Triple A start.
2: Yeah, maybe they could find somewhere to stash him down. It's it's a different situation with him than everybody else. Like you know, you're a guy like Kevin Gosman obviously going to use. Yeah. I kind of need the rest. And Over the all-star break, Chris Bassett as well, posing rules. guys have pitched a ton of innings. But with Manoa, I think it might be worthwhile then to, I don't know, maybe you can just find a team that's playing, send them down to the send him to Amshire, Buffalo, wherever it is, so he fits. So it's like, he, you'd like to have the momentum from that start, carry into something else. Because, you know, if you go from that great outing against the Tigers, where he's obviously feeling really good, like you saw him on the mound, seeing him smiling, he doesn't look like that, stressed out, yeah. you know, having a bad time pitcher like he was most of the season, like you'd like for that momentum to continue. So, I mean, you think that at some point they find unless they rejig the rotation and he comes like after God, like between Gosman and, and Barrios and he's pitching like the second game against Arizona. And then they, they move it around. Uh, like my thought on that was just can't have him and Kikuchi back to back, but I don't, I don't really know how you organize the rotation.
3: otherwise. Yeah. Maybe that's something to get to. If we do another pod a little bit later on this week, let's stick with this tiger series again. First pickup, the return of Alec Manoa. Second big up is the offense in that game. Eight of the starting nine Blue Jays in that ball game came around to score at one point. Everybody got on base with the exception of Dalton Varsho. But again, we'll just we'll just kind of push that off to the side <laughs> and ignore that. Uh, but they had a lot of guys whose bats woke up. Bo Bichette goes three for six. George Springer had a big double. That kick started things in the third inning. Kevin Kiermeyer in the nine slot had four hits. Again, if this offense can get rolling, they are dangerous. It's just a matter of doing it consistently.
2: Yeah, it's an offense that can get hot, and I think it's an interesting point, actually. Um, George Springer, of course, plays the first game, and then he's not available for the Saturday and Sunday games because he goes on the paternity list. Um, you really notice not having him at the top of the order. I mean, it's This is something we've talked about in, in seasons past in 2021 when he missed a good chunk of the year due to injury right off the hop, and then the season after that, it was always a worry. Like, oh, if we lose George Springer, the offense is going to go. He hasn't been as good. This year, it's just a 750 OPS. Not bad, obviously, but not, not the same George Springer all-star we've seen in the past. But, man, the offense, when he's not there at number one, feels very different. And that's, yeah. and, 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 and even despite that, like Whit feels in the top spot in those two other games, and he's looking just fine. But for some reason, when you don't have Springer in that spot, the, the, the lineup just feels a lot more limp. So it's just a nice reminder, even though George Finger is not having his best year, he's not having his standard all-star caliber season, just how good he is in that number one spot.
3: Yeah, it's uh you're right. It really does thin out the lineup when you all of a sudden got to bump O up and bump everyone else up a slot. And even in that third game, I remember watching it and every time the, the order went through, I was like, good Lord, Danny Jansen's batting five. Like, come on. Yeah, like, ooh, it's thin. And then Danny Jansen goes and saves the day. I mean, two outs in the ninth. You think the game's over. I'm about to turn off the TV. And all of a sudden, Danny Jansen, kind of as he does he hits clutch home runs he doesn't hit a lot of home runs he doesn't do a lot of great things at the dish but he hits clutch dingers that's like his third or fourth big home run of the season
2: it honestly feels like when you look at this team who's most likely to hit a ninth inning home run And you look up and down the lineup at who's done it and
4: <laughs> probably channel it.
2: like it's either him or like probably Springer right like who's who's got more clutch moments we talked about Vladdy last time he had that clutch home run against the White Sox the, the First come from behind, go ahead, dinger since 2019 against the Yankees in like May of 2019 or whenever that was. So I mean, this is something the Jays haven't had a hell of a lot of, and it's it's kind of funny that their catcher, who's a a fine hitter, a good not great hitter, yeah, not a not a not like an All Star caliber hitting catcher or whatever, it is he's the one that's always coming through with these clutch ninth inning home runs. It's really interesting it's really it's weird but that's baseball for it
3: yeah and then they find a way to get the job done in the 10th inning as well in a rather unconventional way you had varsho grounding out but kirk getting thrown out i thought maybe just when the inning started i saw kirk at two and i was like why would you not sacrifice the dh slot pinch run for kirk and then just have jansen do the catching in the 10th there was only Belt on the bench. So, uh, so they would have been. And you,
2: have, you could have hypothetically a pitcher. Like, I remember you said you ran earlier in the season.
3: Yeah, I just thought having Kirk in that spot was a little bit like, oh, ooh, God. you're taking a risk. And they ultimately were taking a risk. It didn't pay off. He got thrown out running to third base on a play that wasn't even close. You also would have maybe liked Dalton Varsho to do something more than just ground out straight to second base. But again, whatever. Sure. It led to Nathan Lucas driving home a run and watching that play. Like, he hits it. And he stands there and he thinks it's going foul for like a split second. And then he's like, oh, shit, I got to run a uh, perfectly placed ball. You could argue maybe a little bit lucky with a guy like Lucas just barely getting enough of it to slice it down the line. Either way, you take a win like that if you can get it.
2: Yeah, we've said this. We've said this before when we talk about the offense struggling. It's like we all know that the offense is going to live and die with the guys like Bowen, Vlad, and Springer. But we've said before, if, if we've – you need those weird random moments where some yeah. bench guy on your team comes through. And we had one in Miami when er- Ernie Clement was like the key player yeah. in the game that looked like it was going to be doomed. And we, we joked that he saved the season. It kind of feels, it's not, you know, it's obviously a hyperbole. Nathan Lucas didn't save the season at that RBI double, but it kind of felt like it given, you know, what happened the day before, what was going on that day. You don't want to go into the all star break on that vibe back-to-back Ls against the Detroit Tigers where you're putting up zero offense. So this is the second time I'm saying one of the bench players <laughs> saved the season.
3: Those were the kind of three ops. Like, let's give a bonus one, I guess, in that last game, Koomzy to just the fact that the bullpen was as good as it was. Jordan Romano picks up the save in that one, but they just really clamped down on the Tigers and allowed the Jays to come back in that game. Because again, if you don't get good appearances from the, what, five guys you did, Danny Jansen's home run is meaningless.
2: Yeah, Chris Bassett in this game, I I don't know if I call it a terrible start. It was just kind of a mess start. Ah, It was was fine. He did enough.
3: Yeah, it was he was
2: four innings, allows three Uh, runs. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But then Trevor Richards comes in inning in two thirds, picks up five outs, and allows the one hit. Tim Mays inning after that. Eric Swanson, four outs. Jimmy Garcia inning. Jordan Romano picks up the save. The key one here is Trevor Richards. You brought him up in the past. Uh this is why it's so important for the Jays to actually have a fifth starter. Yeah. So that you can have this guy in the bullpen because he's Trevor 2016 Andrew Miller Richards now <laughs> and he's your bullpen ace that pitches two innings in the middle of the game when you need it. So this this just goes to show why the Jays need Alec Manoa back or whoever it winds up being in that fifth spot. So they're not doing bullpen days because they need these relievers.
3: Yeah, and hopefully there's health and everyone stays solid through the back half of the season. There's your three ups with a bonus as the Jays take two or three from the Tigers, but they did lose a game. So we got some downs to get to in this ball game or in this uh episode of the pod. They got no hit for the seventh time in franchise history. Um, I mean, listen, Matt Manning is a good arm, but uh, this Jays team can't be getting no hit. No, I and especially when you fact you like combine it with the third game where like they only had three hits heading into the ninth or whatever, like Ugly, ugly, ugly. Yeah, it's not really what you like to see. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. It's, it's,
2: I'm, I, I didn't really want to overreact to the no hitter because it's sort of, it's kind of arbitrary. Like it's a combined no hitter. It's a bit different. That's actually an interesting topic of conversation. Like, what do you think of the combined no hitter? Do you think it's, I think it's worth recording for the history
3: books, but I don't think it's, uh, you know, I'm not going to get too excited about it personally. So like when it's one pitcher throwing a no-no, wildly impressive, unless it's yeah. Domingo Germán, then we do not care. And I like that the sport is completely ignored it. It's yeah. still hilarious to me because he's a loser. Um, but when it's a, when a no, when a pitcher throws a no hitter, nine innings, no hits or whatever, it's an impressive individual feat. Mm-hmm. I feel like when it's a combined no hitter and the reason I'm like more rattled about this, a combined no hitter is more of a slap in the face to the team that got no hit. Cause it's like, you didn't just run into this crazy hot arm who shut you down and diced you up for nine innings. You had multiple relievers. You had these, even for the jays like you had a lot of base runners in the first inning when it was pouring rain you had like the first two guys get on and you totally let matt manning off the hook so um a combined no hitter more of a slap in the face to the opposition than it is a personal accomplishment for the guys who did it i think
2: yeah that's kind of how i feel too i mean that's that's what i told myself when it happened it was like wow this is embarrassing but it definitely would have felt i don't know what it probably it it would have been something more interesting if Matt Manning had just gone the distance yeah. and you know thrown 130 pitches and no hit them because that's the thing about it that makes it so challenging is it's the, it's, the pitch count yeah it's the pitch that. count like you go back to some of the ones that were thrown in the past and I remember one that Edwin Jackson threw years ago oh, right. like so random and he walked like six guys and threw 150 pitches or something
3: there was Insane. a Tim Lincecum one where he yeah. threw like 145 pitches
2: yeah. Uh, it's it's those ones that are really interesting but that being said I mean l- let's be real here if Jose Barrios uh, Nate Pearson and Eric Swanson and Jordan Romano combined for a no hitter we'd be so excited we would okay. be like this is the coolest thing ever and it's funny that one of my predictions earlier in the season our, um, when we did our predictions podcast was one of the Jays is going to throw a no hitter and then they get no hit by the fucking Tigers <laughs> yeah, son of a bitch hey not ideal but I don't think there's any conclusions to draw from that we already knew that the Jays lineup needs some help in the- just further reaffirms that like there there's been plenty of instances where the bats have looked terrible like they've been they didn't get shut out until the miami series in late late may early june whenever that was they went the first two three months without getting shut out now they've been shut out like four times in the past month
3: and like again when you look at the season as a whole and i always see people on twitter and on threads um (laughs) making good points about like oh look at where they rank in this category and uh, on and on and on Okay, there's one. It's one thing to like rank high because again, when their offense is good, goddamn, game one against Detroit, twelve runs, everyone was chipping in for the most part. Yeah, it's great to rank high, but you need consistency if you want to be a playoff team, right? Like, it's not enough to just have a game where you put up twelve and then go ice cold for like eighteen straight innings or seventeen straight innings. I guess. Would you
2: say that the number one need going to the trade deadline is is offense, or do you still think it should be a, another pitcher, some depth, uh... some the bullpen? For me, it's Getting a big right-handed bat that can platoon some of these guys like Brandon Belt, because they're getting their lefty hitting's been okay in some regards for getting on base. Like Kiermaier and Belt have been getting on base, but there's no power hitting from the left side going on at all, especially against lefty pitching. Like they still haven't a lefty hitter on the Jays hasn't hit a home run this season against a lefty pitcher, which is <laughs> kind that, of
3: nuts. It's like a pretty concerning stat, actually. And just looking right now at just some base level stuff, they're 12th in batting average against lefties this year, but they're all the way down at 24th in OPS, which I think kind of illustrates what you just said, right? Like contact, getting on yeah. base, whatever, fine, actually hitting for power, actually doing damage. They're not getting the job done against lefties. So yeah, I think it probably is. I think and it's weird to say this, saying we're only three weeks away from the deadline or whatever. I think they are in a bit of a wait and see pattern though, because Listen, if you get three more starts out of Manoa, two more starts out of Manoa, and they're both really good, then you're probably sitting there going, ah, yeah, we don't need another arm. We got our five. We know we can make it work with four. If someone were to go down, we don't need that extra little bit of insurance. Maybe you go get like a minor league guy, someone who's just there. But if Manoa struggles in a couple, Kakuchi gets lit up in a couple, then maybe you sit there and change your plan. But as it sits right now, if we're going to do glass half full with Manoa, I think I agree with you. It's, it's a right handed bat. That's probably the biggest need for this team. Again, we talked about this. Not a ton of sellers around baseball right now. So I think if you're expecting the Jays to get something done in the next week here as they come out of the All-Star break, I mean, just don't. I wouldn't expect that yeah. personally. I think, I don't know. It's. It'll the, be like a deadline day or day before deadline day thing. Yeah. I think they, they need to wait to make sure it's 100% the best thing to add. I wonder if this year is going to, we're going to see.
2: Any big ads? Like there wasn't really any last year. Something like they were quiet at last year's deadline, but there was no big ads. The only year they've really done the big ad was the Jose Barrios edition in 2021. Like even going back to 2016, and I think this team's very similar to the 2016 team. Like they have almost the exact same record at the All Star break. The numbers are similar. It's you know good pitching. Okay offense, mm-hmm. not amazing offense. The 2016 team probably had better bats, but I think this team might actually have better pitching. Kind of hard to say. But it, yeah, they they feel really similar in that way. And you go back to that trade deadline, and it was all about adding it was just adding depth over time. It was adding Jason Grilly, it was Joaquin Benoit, BJ Upton, Deonna Navarro came back. Names like that. It wasn't it was just filling depth holes around the lineup. And I I, I kind of wonder if that's what we're gonna see this year because the farm system is quite a bit thinner than it has been in the past. Yep. There's only really a couple of top names and I would assume that they'd probably rather not trade like a Ricky Tiedemann, somebody like that as I
3: don't know, but I guess we'll see. That's yeah. Uh, just as we wrap up three up three down here for uh, this series against Detroit, two guys who did not have good series with the bats for the Jays were Alejandro Kirk and Dalton Varsho. And the reason I wanted to include them in here is because we're wrapping up this Detroit series but we're wrapping up kind of the first half of the season as well. As we head into the all-star break Varsho and Kirk, you want to talk about two guys that can make this offense more consistent yeah. and make the lineup deeper. The spotlight is going to be solely on those two, in my opinion, as we head to the second half of the year. I would add Vladdy to that as well. I mean, um, but he's at least putting up respectable numbers, right? Those other two, like it's flat out miserable They're Yeah. It's, it's
2: unfortunate. Those are two guys that had pretty high expectations and, we're halfway through the season. Kirk's got a 621 OPS. varsho has got a 645 OPS. Kirk just looks like a completely different hitter than the one we've seen in the past. Like, I remember yeah. when he came up and he was a rookie and it was just a fantastic plate approach. He was never swinging at anything outside of the zone. And, uh, and it was just, he was just like a, a line drive machine smacking balls into the outfield. And now it just feels like everything's on the ground. He's whiffing a lot more, looks completely different Uh our show. Yeah, there's been points where it looks like he's finding his groove. And I mean, at least his home runs are there. He's hit 12 dingers. The speed's there. The defense is fantastic, obviously. So we're getting that. But, you know, getting more from either of those two and then getting Vladdy going from being good to great or perhaps elite, that'd be a game changer. Like It it feels like all the pieces are here. And if they just hit their stride, then it'll be fine. But you know, that's baseball. It's, it's not always, things don't always go as planned. The game's not played on paper. So we'll see how things go over the next three weeks. And then the deadline comes up and there's a whole bunch of different things they could potentially do. It'll be
3: interesting to see. I do get a chuckle out of baseball reference having Dalton Varsho ahead of George Springer and Vladdy Guerrero Jr. in terms of war. Um, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but I guess defensively, he's been really good. Yeah. Cause they, they've baseball reference measures it
2: differently yeah. in terms of defense and base running than fan graphs does. I think I'm not like a huge, uh, guy in terms of knowing what the difference between these wins above replacement stats are. Usually I'm just kind of a homer and I look at what is the bigger number. And I'm like, We're well, this a J- podcast, yeah, this Blue Jay did that. So if our show's got a great B war, then we'll just use that.
3: Uh, <laughs> Danny Jansen's war is at a point eight. I would argue. Um, it should be at like a three because he's like single-handedly won them a couple ball games yeah. with big home runs. You should have
2: gotten um, one win above replacement for the Detroit win. That's yeah. how it should
3: work. That, that Every is, time yeah. you have a good game, you get a point. Every time you have a bad game, you lose a point. We're going to call that. There's yeah. Vibes above replacement. There's B-War and there's F-War. And then we'll do EJ and Radio War, which is how many games have you won just strictly off your vibes? Exactly. And Jano's high up on that list. We should start keeping track of that in the second half. Be like, who are our vibes?
2: <laughs> have
0: leaders? like a whiteboard.
2: Every time you do something that's like a positive vibe thing. It's just like very abstract. It's just changing as we go.
3: Whit Merrifield randomly steals third base in the game. It's like, fuck it. We like that. Even though they lost the game 11 to one. We we, we dig that. Uh, There you go. That's your three up, three down for the series against the Detroit Tigers. The Jays have now won five of their last six ball games a week ago. Coombsy last Monday, they were 11 games back of the uh, top spot in the division and two games back of a wild card spot. You fast forward to today, they now hold sole possession of a wild card spot, actually tied with Houston for that second wild card spot. And they're just seven games back of the division. So in a week, they've cleared three games in the wild card race and four games in the divisional race. It, hey, it's not impossible. No, it's not. Tampa, you know, maybe there's a point to be made that they're frauds. They started
2: off the season with that bullshit schedule and they're playing. You know, Oakland and Kansas City all the time to start yeah. things off. Washington, and they didn't play. You know, they, they didn't lose their first game until like two weeks in mm-hmm. when they finally faced the Jays. That was the first like real team they had gone up against, and they've been pretty bad since. Like you know, last year the Yankees got off to that spectacular start and then just rode 500 the west rest of the way. Like the Rays aren't even rocking around at 500 now. Like what did they have? Uh, they were on a six or seven game losing streak, three and seven in their last ten. Yeah. So hey, you never know. I, I I'm honestly starting to think, and Brandon's brought this up a few times. I think Baltimore might. Might be the team that winds up winning the AL East.
3: They uh, they could be. We'll check in with Brandon in just a bit. And uh, well, we're not really going to take too much of a look ahead at Jay's schedule. Because, again, All-Star Week. Uh, but there are some big storylines to get to. So we'll dig into that. But first, stepping aside for a quick break.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.
3: Uh, we'll talk draft, but let's talk Hunjin Ryu because we talked, I mean, hey, adding an arm ahead of the deadline. Man, if Ryu's back and making an impact and making a contribution, I should say, at the major league level, that might actually change your deadline plans a little bit as well, Cam. Uh, he had another good start for, this time for low A Dunedin. Yeah, so now um, in this start, he goes, and I have
2: the stats written down, he goes four innings and om- and doesn't allow a single run. He only struck out one this time, but he also didn't walk a guy. So now all told, in his two outings since coming back from Tommy John, it was 13 months ago he had the surgery. And he's made two appearances, one in the complex league, one at low A, and he's gone seven innings, allowed seven hits, zero walks, struck out six guys, one earned run. Uh I mean, nobody could have expected anything close to as good as this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that, 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 that's crazy. He's a, he was 35 years old when he got the surgery done. 13 months later, he's back, not walking anybody, striking guys out like, yeah, it's complex league. Yeah, it's Dunedin, but we saw with Alec Manoa, we've seen this with other guys, like, you, you go look at how guys do when rehab starts in these lower leagues. It's not a guarantee that you do well just because you're going up against younger players who are prospects. Yeah. Like, The fact that Ryu is pitching like this is incredibly encouraging. And we might have scoffed at the idea last year when he got hurt that he's kind of like a deadline ad, kind of like that. But But then
3: you get into the moment and you're like,
2: oh, it kind of is. Yeah, like now here we are. And it's like, man, like the idea of Ryu coming back and tossing a good start down the stretch Mm -hmm. for the Jays is so exciting. Like it's so cool to think about that happening. Like it's 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 been a long time since this guy's had a huge start for the Jays. You have to go back to, you know, the twenty twenty-two season. He only made a handful of starts and it wasn't good. He had a five point six seven ERA. The year before that, he kind of cratered a bit down the stretch. So you have to go back to the first half of the 2021 season. Like Ryu's probably never had and um, I, I might be wrong about this. My memory is a bit foggy, but I don't think he's had a big start, like a good dominant start in Toronto because when he was pitching well in the first half of 2021, it was Dunedin and yep. Buffalo. So for him to come back and have an opportunity to throw a really good start in front of Jays fans, I think that'd be sweet. That's cool.
3: That would be something. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Keep tracking Hunjin Ryu as he goes along his rehab thing. Again, probably making one somewhere over the All-Star break and we'll see where it goes, uh, from there. Also, MLB draft yesterday, pair of LSU stars going one and two and Paul Skeuns. I think I got that name right. Listen, I care about the Blue Jays. Uh, Dylan Cruz also went second overall. I remember he was uh, the big name in the College World Series. So Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz go one and two. And then the Jays down in the 20th spot, they take Arjun Namala, a high school shortstop. Um, Not the first time in recent memory they've gone the high school shortstop route. Remember Jordan Groshans a handful of seasons ago. Um, The interesting part about Namala, 17 years old on draft day. This is a pretty ripe prospect.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of positive stuff about this kid. He's got some wicked good upside and This is one of those interesting things now with the draft. The the MLB draft is very different than other sports because players can't. Players have a lot more agency to decide where they're going to go, especially when you come out of high school. Go back Mm -hmm. to 2016. The Jays drafted Bo Bichette, and it was the second round of the compensation round. I can't remember, but he was one of those guys that was coming out of high school. He had already made a commitment to go to college, and he said, there's only a handful of teams that I'm going to sign with, and the Jays were one of them because they said they weren't going to fuck around with his, the way that he is batting style, because it was different. Other teams probably would have wanted him to be a little bit less reckless, done this and that. And now you fast forward like seven years later and the Jays are a much more advanced system than they used to be. Like the, the things they have in player development and, you know, people might scoff about this because we haven't seen the, 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 the rewards from this just yet. You haven't seen things from the new complex in Dunedin because it's relatively new. Like the, the development of prospects hasn't been maybe as good as we thought just yet. But as time goes along with all these resources, that's what makes the Jays an attractive team to sign with. This kid's probably like a top 10, perhaps a top 5 talent. You've seen some people that had him in the top 5 of their draft in terms of raw talent. Um, and he's a guy who's not going to just sign with any team that drafts him. The Jays are one of those teams that prospects like this will join because of how they can develop them. And then it's the same thing for the Jays too. You have like a big, strong young kid who has, you can do so much work like with his raw ability, with what they have, the resources they have that it's a really interesting pick for the Jays. And I mean, you also have a really cool story here too. Of course, his family is from, is of Indian descent. There's never been a player in major
3: league baseball before. He, he played cricket before he played baseball is one of the yeah. cool things kind of about his trajectory's path as an athlete.
2: Yeah, it's super interesting. And it's, it's, it's really cool that he, he winds up on the Blue Jays. Bear in mind, he hasn't signed yet, but everything I've seen is that the Jays will likely sign him. I don't think the Jays would make a reach for a high school player that they weren't going to sign. That's just yeah. not really something they do. They always sign their first pick, but it, I, I, I think it's a spectacular fit for, um, a player like this with this story, with this background to, come through to the Jays and you know eventually maybe break through and become that player in Canada where we have you know there's a very big Indian population in this country and there's never been a major league baseball player with that background and he can become
3: like a hero to so many people, I think that's that's a that's a really cool story, a really cool thing. He talked about wanting to be like that. That's something that drives him as being that motivator for other kids who are kind of like him. Uh, this is from ESPN. His tools have drawn comparisons to Carlos Correa and Javi Baez. Very interesting. And ESPN's uh, draft analyst Kylie McDaniel. He said. There's 30 homer potential here and a possibility that he even develops into the best player from this draft, whether as a shortstop or a power-hitting third baseman. But there's also enormous risk and a range of outcomes given the concern over his hit tool. So um, I don't mind that swing. When you look at a prospect system that doesn't have a lot of the high-end pieces anymore because either they've graduated up to the major league level or you've traded them in the case of Gabby Mourinho, um, going to grab a guy like this with nothing but ceiling, it seems like, That's a smart play at 20th overall.
2: Yeah, I agree. No complaints. There's, there's like a great physical toolkit here. Mm -hmm. There's lots of skills. All intent, everything I've read and seen about the kid is that he's got a great attitude, keen to learn, keen to get better. The Jays have all these resources. It seems like a, it, 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 it seems like a good pick for them. It seems like this could be a guy who rises through and becomes a star, much like. You know, seven years ago, Bo Bichette, you draft that guy, he's way better than, you know, second round pick in the MLB oh, draft, yeah. but there was worry about him being signed. So other teams weren't interested in the Jays struck gold and they, 2023 with, and looks like
3: that could be the same thing again. Hopefully. Something. We like vibe picks, and that was yeah. certainly a good vibe great pick. Uh Let's bring in our guy, Brandon Douglas, for the AL Re- AL East report Uh before we get into what's coming up next this week for the Blue Jays. Brando, uh, we kind of took a little bit of your thunder, I guess, when I outlined that the Jays have jumped up a total of four games in the AL East standings over the last week. But that is a product, I'm assuming, of some teams slipping up.
4: Yeah, it was um pretty much kind of what we've seen over the last little bit, just continuing that trend with the Orioles staying hot, the Yankees and Red Sox kind of doing their thing, and then the Rays continuing to skid, albeit against a very good team. But let's start off at the top with some of the, I guess if you're an AL East fan in general, the positive news, not necessarily if you're a Jays fan per se, but the Orioles did sweep the Minnesota Twins. Uh, that is five of six total over the against the Twins over the past two weekends. Uh, Austin Hayes made his return to the Orioles lineup in, a, in game number two, hit a home run in game number three, which was actually a part of a six home run game for the O's in game three. So uh, great vibes for the Orioles heading into the break. They will be represented at the All-Star Game by Adley Rushman and that aforementioned Austin Hayes as well as uh, Bautista Cano uh, in the pitching pen. Um, and then if we're leaping back to some draft talk there the Orioles they selected their first round pick outfielder Enrique Bradfield Jr. from Vanderbilt kind of profiles out as a, a big bat on the left hand side of the plate so good things they are looking for the Orioles if that's another uh, big stick they can add to their already deeply stocked system the Yankees they lost two of three of the Cubs which is like you said earlier kind of what allowed the, the Jays to leapfrog them and get sole possession of that wild card spot um, it included a two hit shutout in game number one which I mean, the Cubs have kind of been an up and down team. It looks like they're getting stuff figured out, but nobody really expected them to be contenders this year by any stretch. So uh, the Yankees not taking advantage of a a weaker spot in their schedule heading into the break. Uh, Carlos Rodon made his debut in his pinstripes in game one on Friday. Not a particularly sparkling outing, nothing too crazy. Five and a third innings pitched, uh, four hits, two runs, two walks, and just two Ks in that loss. Um, the Yankees then on Sunday after losing game three to the Cubs fired, their hitting coach Dylan Lawson uh, and replaced him with former major league first baseman. I believe he's currently an analyst or was an, an analyst on the MLB network, Sean Casey uh, to replace him there um, going into the all-star break. The Yankees will be represented by Garrett Cole, of course, and Aaron judge was voted in as a starter, but will not be playing due to his continuing battle with uh, turf toe is, I believe the official <laughs> diagnosis. Uh, what
3: a brutal break that is. Like, I mean, the dude, Ran into a fence and yeah. basically has now lost any season. Like it's all, it almost feels like his whole season's
2: done. He said that he doesn't think it's going to be fully healed for years.
4: Like that's insane that sucks, bad luck. awful. toe is a crazy is injury. Part? I I can't understand it at all. Like how something like that is is so severe because I cam and I cam and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Like you see it in football players all the time too. Like it really takes a toll on guys and it's, it's crazy. But uh, the Yankees in the draft, they with their first round pick at 26th overall took he, the son of current Tigers bench coach, uh, George Lombard, George Lombard, Jr. He's a shortstop, I believe out of high school. Uh, so that's how they stocked up their system. The Red Sox, they swept the lowly Oakland athletics. No surprise there, but uh, some positive news for the Red Sox is Corey Kluber through his first bullpen session on Sunday. Uh, so he is kind of inching towards a return. Uh, Masatika Yoshida. Can, uh, Tyler, you talked about this, how he was almost yeah. a Blue Jay. Uh, he has had multiple hits in six straight games heading into the All-Star break. So the the Red Sox, they're not going away quietly. They'll be represented at the All-Star game by Kenley Jansen. And they picked in the first round. Sorry, I had this one written down somewhere separate because it wasn't in their original um, listings. Uh, Kyle Teal from Virginia, uh, UVA. He's a catcher uh fourth year junior so the kind of more the the prototypical player you see teams pick out of out of the mlb draft someone that's a little bit closer to ready to go not a high school prospect like the jays opted for um and the lastly the rays they lost two of three to the very hot atlanta braves they are really looking forward to the all-star break i would think to try and figure some things out because like you guys just said they're on the skids they are struggling. Their gap in the division has shrunk down to two games. I'll bring the standings up here for us in a second. But that's not to say they haven't still had a bunch of great individual performances. Uh, Yandy Diaz, Randy Rosarena, Wander Franco, uh, all going to be at the All-Star Game. And Shane McClanahan was named to it, but he will not be playing due to injury as well. And um, their first round pick was a... Shortstop as well from TCU down in Texas. Braden Taylor is the name they got on that, also a fourth-year junior. So um, I'll bring up our standings here, and we can take a quick peek. So yeah, that lead for the Rays shrunk down to just two single games. Uh, The Orioles have them in their sights, and you guys said it. It's not even too outlandish to say that Toronto uh, or even New York, if they can maybe get some injury stuff uh, sorted out, that they could chase down the rays and all of a sudden this division has a very different look than it did a matter of only, you know, a month 6 weeks ago.
3: Yeah, and I'm just looking at some schedules right now. How about the Orioles? This is their it's their make it or break it stretch coming out of this All-Star break. They go Miami and then 3 against the Dodgers, 4 against the Rays, 3 against the Phillies, 3 against the Yankees, then 3 or 4 against the Jays and uh, that series falls right the, the trade deadline's right in the middle of it as well. So this is a tough, tough stretch for Baltimore. It's a pretty tough stretch for the Jays coming out of the All-Star break as well, though. Arizona's having a good year. You can't take San Diego lightly. Seattle's in the mix. The Dodgers are the next team they get. The Angels like, man, the next two, three weeks with the deadline looming and all of these teams playing really, really tough competition, like this division could look very different by July 30th, Brandon.
4: Oh, yeah. And and like you'd mentioned before about the lack of sellers that are going to be available come Mm -hmm. the deadline time, like it's going to be tough for a team like the Jays to outbid other teams like say the Orioles who have a lot deeper prospect pools and farm systems stocked with high quality players that they can use to make some additions to round out this, this team that is full of young, talented guys. So it's, um, it, it'll make for an exciting finish to say the least. I think this, this division has been probably the most entertaining to watch all year so far. And I don't think we should see any changes to that down the home stretch
3: uh brandon last time vladimir guerrero jr was in the home run derby he had 66 95 home runs am i doing that math right that is an insane amount of home it was it was uh, a crazy amount yeah yeah because he hit 29 in round one 40 in round two and then 22 in uh the final do you think Vladdy can get back to the derby finals here tonight I think he he's in tough for his first
4: round matchup, but uh, I mean, hey, he he kind of lives for these big moments. I think we've seen that he loves the the spotlight, the emotion. So you know what? Uh, we talked about it last week, putting my our money where our mouth is and backing up the Alec Manoa start. I'm going to do the same and, and throw a little coin on Guerrero in the Derby
3: tonight, just to yeah. to increase the vibes. Absolutely, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. over on Botano, plus plus three seventy to win the Home Run Derby. You enjoy it tonight, Brandon. Awesome, thanks, guys. You too. There you go. At least report with our pal, Brandon Douglas. Uh, Let's talk about that home run derby. We were laughing before the pod. As we do our prep, we do a little bit of prep. Every week, just a little. Uh <laughs> round one of the twenty nineteen home run derby. Vladdy beat Matt Chapman. Yeah, I completely forgot Matt Chapman was in the home run derby.
2: Completely forgot about doesn't that. seem like a home run derby guy, really. No, not really. But also, yeah, he hit 13 home runs. Vladdy what was it say there he hit twenty-nine. Yeah, and then after that it was Jock Peterson. He had 40 home runs in that round, and then he wound up losing to Pete Alonzo. But I think if most people look back at the 2019 Derby, I think most
3: remember Vladdy as being the guy there. Unless you're a Mets fan, I guess. But yeah, and again the Vladdy and jock went to like three rounds of swing offs because it was 29 29 after regulation then they each hit eight in the first tiebreaker each hit one in the next tiebreaker then it went to a swing off that Vladdy was able to win he lost to pete Alonzo by one in the final pete Alonzo loves this event he seems like a guy who he takes a lot of pride in owning the home run derby. He is your odds-on favorite to win this thing. With Vladdy coming in at second, the hometown guy Julio Rodriguez is third. So, um an interesting little thing there. I how oh. do they seed these guys? Because uh, Luis
2: Robert Jr. is number one, and then yeah. Rodriguez is number two. Alonzo's down at seven. Vladdy's three.
3: Randy Ordonez is five. So it seems sort of random, right? It, it does seem pretty random. Um, if you want to talk about a guy who's just scorching hot heading into the break, it's Luis Robert. I, if, if we're talking about where I'm betting, I'm going to have a little bit on a Luis Robert Vladimir Guerrero Jr. final. Yeah at plus 825. I like that.
2: If I'm looking at the bracket correctly, I think things would be set up for Vladi and Pete Alonso to
3: score off in the semifinals, right? Yeah. Or potentially, I mean, Julio Rodriguez, you know he's going to be fired up. True that. That is a great first round matchup by Major League Baseball. I hope that's like the last one they do. That'd be cool.
2: Yeah, this is a really good home run derby. This will be fun to watch. This is cool.
3: Yeah, I know some people kind of like whatever shit on it, same way people shit on like the dunk contest, but I like it. It's like a random Monday in the middle of summer, couple hours, sit down, watch the home run derby. It's fun to watch guys hit nukes. It's just it's just something different. I mean, I'm 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 not
2: a huge All Star Game fan across any of the sports. I don't no. usually tune in, but I do like the Home Run Derby. It's the one I really like. Are you gonna watch the, the game on Tuesday? No, that I don't think I'll watch the game on. Don't want to see. Uh, Kevin Goswin's taking himself out of the All Star Game. He's gonna. Jordan
3: Romano's in though. Jordan Romano's in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They weren't replacements for each other, but we can kind of just tell themsel- tell ourselves they were. Yeah, why not? The couple Jays there cool. Yeah, we might get some funny moments. Hopefully, there's some good mic'd up things. But Merrifield steals good. third base at the All-Star game, and he gets a vibe point for us. From One vibe point. Uh, yeah, no, I don't care. I care about the Derby more than the game. The yeah. Derby is infinitely more fun than the game. That's where I'm at, too. I think the Derby is unique. I wish they had some kind of event for...
2: For pitchers too. I wish there was something like that over in, it was either in Korea or Japan. And this isn't pitchers, bear in mind, but they had this other event where guys were bunting and trying to get into a target. That was cool. I wish, I wish there was more stuff like this. Like I think the NHL has done a pretty good job with the skills competition, making it like random, like Vegas. They were doing all those goofy events on the strip. Like try and get stuff like that more for the pitchers or more for different guys who do different stuff. Cause the home run derby is awesome, but get more more weird skill
3: stuff. Imagine a guy up. I'm just trying to think of like copying NHL events you put like a target at whatever second base and you throw a guy up at like the top of the second deck at T-Mobile in Seattle and like see if first guy to hit it, give them each like five balls and see if they can nail this target at second base. That'd be kind of fun.
2: Wrap a guy up in bubble wrap and let a guy throw
3: pitch at him as hard as he can and see if he can knock him over. Like a, huh. like bowling. <laughs> Human bowling. Um Yeah, all-star game. It'll be whatever. Jay's come out of the break on Friday to start a series at home. Little homestand is they'll host the Diamondbacks for three and then the Padres for three as well. Um, So, again, the D-backs are actually having a really good year, but we'll kind of preview all that. I think we'll do an episode later. Yeah, probably week, do right? one on like yeah. Thursday evening or Friday morning or something like that. Yeah. Okay, we'll do another pod later on in the week to get you set for the second half of the JCs and maybe even do like since we won't have anything to recap, like a little... Deadline three weeks away. Let's do a little deadline primer, something like that. Well, but let's, let's talk more next time about, yeah. um, how the first half of the season's gone, mm-hmm. what expectations we have, look back at some predictions, stuff yeah. like that. All right. I like all of that. Uh, thanks for tuning in. As always, go find us on YouTube. We're starting to post a ton of stuff over on the YouTube with our guy, Brandon and also, uh, Brett Holden. So we got some stuff coming up there during the All-Star break, maybe some reaction to, uh, Vladdy at the home run derby tonight. And then we'll be back with a new episode on Thursday. Coombsy, enjoy the break. Best wishes.